everyone, and welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's weekly speaker series podcast. This week, we are joined by Diane Calvi, President and CEO at Village Enterprise. I'm sitting down with Diane Calvi after her appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on October 1st, 2021. Diane, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to meet you, Miriam. Nice to meet you, too. Um, so to kick us off, uh, one of the staggering statistics on the Village Enterprises website is that over 400 million people in Africa live in extreme poverty. This is over half of the world's poorest. So to provide a little bit of context, why do you think that this is the current state of Africa? And how does Village Enterprise seek to address this issue? Well, Miriam, that's a question that could take all day to answer, but I know we don't have that long, so I'm going to try to summarize. Um, First, Africa suffers from inequities that remain from the time of colonization and huge problems of corruption and concentration of wealth, I think due to the extractive industries that dominate Africa's economies. Um, these problems often lead to war and conflict, which further exacerbates the situation. Um, in addition, Africa has one of the highest population growth rates on the planet and economic growth has not been able to keep up with the population growth. Um, Africa has also been disproportionately affected by climate change with devastating droughts, floods, and pest invasions. Um, and large areas of Africa are in the tropics, so Africa suffers more um, from debilitating tropical diseases like malaria and yellow fever. Finally, Africa has more limited infrastructure in terms of transportation, energy, and education than other parts of the world. Um, so all of these factors factor into the problem of poverty in Africa. Um, and Village Enterprise cannot obviously address all of these issues, um, but we do address a really important one, which is the problem of inequity and lack of economic opportunities for Africans that are living in extreme poverty. And we do that by equipping them with a cash transfer uh, to start a group-based business along with training and mentoring by a local business mentor in order to start and successfully run income generating businesses and savings groups. And through our program, Africans can lift themselves and their families out of extreme poverty. Because over 80% of the people working in our program are women, and we both empower women and give them the resources to actually have greater gender equity, indirectly this affects population growth because women, women have greater financial resources and, and, and reach greater levels of equity. Population tends to decline and that's true across the world. We also work with conservation partners to address um, issues of climate change. And indirectly, I think we affect also conflict because a lot of conflict is the result of inequity. Um, so if we create a more equitable world, I believe we'll have less conflict as well. Um, and that's true, I think, in Africa. So you mentioned in your response, your collaboration um, with community partners. So following up with that, currently Village Enterprise works in five different African countries. So how do you leverage your relationship, not only with partners, but with like private companies and governments for your mission and your goal to be successful? And what challenges have you encountered as well? Yeah, that's a really good question um, and really important. Um, Village Enterprise has always worked closely with local governments uh, to get buy-in for our program. Um, since our program is delivered by Africans on the ground and run by Africans, local governments and communities are really supportive of our work. 
and help us gain the trust of the local population, which is essential to the program's success. Because we operate an entrepreneurship-focused program, and we work with local private companies to ensure that our entrepreneurs have access to quality inputs and value chains so that their businesses will be profitable. In just the last couple of years, we've been increasingly working with the national governments as we feel that government adoption is going to be key to scaling our program throughout Africa. Um, so we're now working with the Kenya government and the Rwanda government who are interested in incorporating this type of approach into their social protection systems. What challenges have risen based off of these collaboration with governments and how has Village Enterprise like overcome these obstacles? The biggest challenge working with government is government wants to be leading, but you're providing this technical assistance role. So I think the most important thing is to really be willing to listen and learn and not come in thinking that you have all of the answers um, because each each time you work with a government or any partner for that matter, you've really got to build trust and you have to understand what their challenges are. So the challenge that a government might have in implementing your program could be very different than the challenges that you've had as an organization, as an NGO running your program. And so really listening and really trying to understand what they need from you to be successful, I, I think is really critical. Going along with, you know, listening to government's needs, obviously COVID-19 has wrecked havoc on the global economy. So how did the pandemic affect the work that you were doing and how did you, again, overcome these obstacles that, that rose because of COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, I think COVID-19 clearly was a huge, huge setback for our organization, but also for our entrepreneurs. And when it hit in March of 2020, uh, Village Enterprise responded immediately uh, to provide our entrepreneurs and their family with resources um, to build resilience, um, both during and after the pandemic. Due to these extraordinary circumstances, um, the need to reach our entrepreneurs without traveling or holding physical meetings became vital. Um, so we pivoted by providing remote mentoring resources and support through mobile technology to help our entrepreneurs and business mentors identify solutions, adapt and innovate during the crisis. One of the things we saw is our entrepreneurs um, through assistance from their business mentors, identifying new business opportunities. For example, uh, tailoring businesses pivoted to making masks and um, restaurant businesses pivoted to making cleaning solutions. So there were all sorts of really interesting innovations that happened. And I think they happened partly because our entrepreneurs were assisted by our business mentors uh, during the pandemic. To provide capital for our new businesses, we successfully completed all of our cash transfers using mobile technology, mobile money throughout all of our areas of operation, um, even in areas that we hadn't previously been doing mobile money. We had been doing still cash, giving cash out, but the pandemic forced us to really scale up our um, mobile cash disbursements throughout all areas of operation. And to build upon our successes with digital technology, we launched a design challenge to develop a complete digital version of our program. And we actually collected impact data to understand how our entrepreneurs were doing as a result. And several months into the 
pandemic, we found no significant difference in business value at program exit before and after the pandemic lockdown and no differences in um, business membership attrition. So we were really encouraged by that. We're now working to ensure that all of our staff and, and as many entrepreneurs as possible are vaccinated, even though we're working in really remote rural areas. So we feel like this is another value add. And in Rwanda, 100% of our staff and many of our entrepreneurs are already vaccinated. And we're working to achieve 100% in our other countries as well. That is truly amazing, <laughs> especially in the context of those countries, like getting access to vaccines has been incredibly difficult. And so it's amazing that Village Enterprise is providing its business owners with vaccines. Well, we're not providing them with the vaccines, but we're getting them connected to people that are providing the vaccines. So yeah, no, Village Enterprise is not actually providing the vaccines, but we're really incentivizing and motivating our staff to get vaccinated. And then our staff are in turn working to help get our entrepreneurs vaccinated. So we're not actually delivering vaccines, but we, we find health clinics that are, and we help organized transportation and that sort of thing. Yeah, even the whole logistical aspect of that, like <laughs> truly, truly, truly amazing. So my next question relates to something you had spoken about in the beginning, the fact that Village Enterprises model um, specifically targets women with like 80% of business grants being given to women. So my question is, why was this approach taken? And what are the benefits of this approach compared to a non-gendered one? So what's interesting is that Village Enterprise model does not actually target women. We target people living in extreme poverty. It just so happens that the people that choose to participate in our program are overwhelmingly female. And that's not surprising because we don't give an unconditional cash transfer. We give a conditional cash transfer, um, which requires people that participate in our program to regularly attend trainings, to participate in savings groups and business groups. So there are some conditions and women are much more incentivized to participate because we know that women are more likely to invest in their children and families. And, and therefore we also encourage as an organization, female participation and provide the support they need so that they can participate. Um, we provide things like a family support training module, women's empowerment coaching. Um, we have a group-based model that increases women's social capital and standing in their community. The fact that the businesses are formed with by groups of three individuals um, make it a much easier program for women because if you have three people running a business, one woman might be taking care of a child while the other women are running the retail business. And so that kind of flexibility really helps women and allows them to participate. And the results from our randomized control trial demonstrated that Village Enterprise programs, households with female participants benefited more than households with male participants in regards to total asset ownership and consumption as well as access to savings groups. And in addition, women participating in the Village Enterprise Program uh, reported increased standing in the community and subjective well-being, including improved mental health and overall sense of happiness. So we feel like the program, while not a 
women only program and it, it really does have outsized benefits for women and women then have outsized impact on their families. And so, you know, I think we, we don't exclude men from our program because we want to have community buy-in and acceptance for our program. Um, so men can participate, but women really drive the success of our program. And it's interesting how like that naturally came about, even though like it was not a direct and like targeted approach. In your talk earlier, you also mentioned how Village Enterprise works with refugee populations. So I'm curious as to how Village Enterprise overcomes these ge geopolitical factors that at times hinder refugees' abilities to like work and create and create businesses, how does Village Enterprise overcome those and ensure refugee success and empowerment? Yeah, and that's that's a tough question because Village Enterprise can't really can't really change the geopolitical situation. But what we can do is we can choose to operate in countries where the geopolitical situation allows us to operate our model. So Village Enterprise is operating our model in Uganda and will be operating in Ethiopia, two African countries with the most progressive laws around refugee and work. It's essential that refugees have the right to establish small businesses. And we, we wouldn't seek to implement our program without the necessary political and legal framework approved by the national government. Fortunately, the comprehensive refugee response framework and key development partners such as UNHCR are advocating that national governments allow increasing rights to work as a means to self-reliance. And this is really important because most refugees spend many, many years in refugee camps. It's not a temporary situation. Um, and by providing a program like Village Enterprise Program, refugees not only can you know, become self-reliant, it also gives refugees some productive activities to do while they're in the camps. Over half of refugees are completely reliant on food aid. And that just isn't, for most people, a high quality you know, way to live. And so I think our experience in the refugee camps is, is not only do refugees become self-reliant, they become a lot happier and hopeful for the future, um, which is also important. I would personally love to hear any stories you have about an impactful experience that you had working with a community that you, that you wouldn't mind sharing. Sure. And, you know, since you were asking about refugees, I'll share my story from my last visit to the Bitty Bitty refugee camp in northern Uganda. Um, it's one of the largest camps in the world with over a million refugees. And um, when I was there, I met a woman by the name of Salome. And she told me her story. Um, she was forced to flee her home in South Sudan with her seven children when war broke out. Because her husband went to fight, she doesn't know where her husband is or even if he's still alive. She told me she had to walk for two months with her seven children carrying her one-year-old on her back, not knowing where her next meal would come from. And I just, you know, I just can't imagine what that would be like as a mother, um, being a mother myself. She arrived in the refugee camp and just received the provisions of water, rice, and oil along with a tent to sleep in, but no way to make their lives any better. And um, she talked to me about her sense of hopelessness. 
um, that she had no way to help her children or make their lives any better. So when Village Enterprise came to the refugee camp, she was really excited to participate in our program for first time entrepreneurs. Um, she told me she had never run a business before, so she really appreciated the training and mentoring uh, that she received from her business mentor, um, who was a fellow um, Sudanese refugee. Um, she told me how empowering it was to learn the new skills and participate in a savings group with other women. And she eventually formed a business group to start a butchery business because in the camp there was no meat available. And with the help of their business mentor, they wrote a business plan. And with the seed capital, they bought knives and goats that they slaughtered. And when I met her, she was running a, a successful butchery business. Um, when I talked to her about what was so empowering, she said that someday she hoped to go home to South Sudan. And she knew she wouldn't be able to bring the butchery business with her, but she said that no one could take away what she had learned and the skills that she had developed. And she knew that she could always start another business because of what she had learned. And, and she said that she felt that she could always provide for her children and that that gave her hope for the future. That is truly, truly, truly inspiring. And it's amazing, like the impact that Village Enterprise has had and that, you know, empowering populations have on like each person's individual lives and each person's individual capabilities. So before we finish off, one last question. What important lessons have you learned regarding entrepreneurship and poverty alleviation that future leaders in, in international development should keep in mind? Well, thanks, Miriam. One of the most important lessons is that there's still so much to learn and that evidence and focus on impact should always just drive our decision making. Having spent a lot of time in the field meeting with our first time entrepreneurs, I've learned that money is just a small part of the solution. People starting businesses for the first time also need training, tools, and coaching to be successful. They need to work together with others so that they can build the confidence, knowledge, and social capital that's necessary to become self-reliant. But I think most importantly, I've learned that people are incredibly resourceful despite their circumstances. Um, so allowing them to make decisions about their future and not treating them just as beneficiaries is critical for future success. Thank you so much, Diane. You can find more information about Diane Calvi's work at villageenterprise.org and you can follow her on Twitter. Thank you again, Diane Calvi, for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research events and upcoming speakers at cid.harvard.edu. Thank you all for listening and we will see you next week.